Welcome back to the Four Gardens Podcast. I'm Jake Ifshin. In this episode, we'll continue to focus on healing and health. My guest today is Lyra Magda. Lyra is a folk botanist, hide tanner, and teacher based in the Southeast and Mid-Atlantic regions. She studies the plants and animals of these landscapes through the simple immersion of living close to them. Cutting wood, carrying water, living in simple structures like tents and cabins, and cultivating wild domestic plants into a blur that erases their distinctions, raising animals, and processing roadkill. She has taught nature-based classes since 2014 and has facilitated plant walks since 2009. She mainly teaches adults in both public and private classes, both indoors and outdoors. Lyra's special focuses include resilient, bioregionally sensible plant foods, an animistic approach to animal dismemberment that involves using nearly all the parts of the body, bioregional hide tanning and fiber crafts. Lyra is also a spinner, writer, primitive tattooer, occasional goat herd, herbalist and lover of walking. She is driven by a bottomless love for the plants and creatures of the Southeast, as well as a profound urgency to help human communities to reweave relationships with the land in order to envision village life and to act in resistance to systems of exploitation. I met Lyra a number of years ago when I attended my first ever plant walk, which she led, and I was pretty blown away by the depth of knowledge and connection Lyra had with plants. In our conversation, she shares how her intimacy with plants, animals, and the land are essential to her survival, well-being, and mental health. As always, I'm joined by Ari Rubens, my co-producer and co-host of this podcast. And curious, Ari, how this episode and conversation impacted you. I was deeply impacted by this episode with Lyra. She's shared a true story. And I think that this is very relevant in the topic of health because oftentimes in spiritual communities or, you know, even Instagram or what we see in the world is just the positive and just what's going well. But there's an element of truth that I believe needs to be embodied in order to become the healthiest version of myself and for the clients that I work with for being truthful with every aspect of your experience. So she tells her story and, and I, I was really moved by just how she is truthful in her experience and what she does to maintain resilience through practices that I've also been involved with. So thank you, Lyra, for sharing this beautiful conversation with us. What about uh, you? I appreciate that truth telling too. And yeah, Lyra, it's a, a great part of our conversation. A big part of it is about how we can't ignore as Lyra says, the piss, the shit, the blood in life too, of being, when we talk about truth telling that, you know, she asked ahead of time, can I swear in this episode? And I said, yes, of course, like be yourself. And um, she's very, uh, embraces her experience in a way, or is honest about her experience and also about the, the full totality of her, of, of what she experiences on land and what's happening around us. Um, and we, we talk about in the conversation about how, our separation, our hiding and civilization from so many parts of what it means to be alive is the source of so much suffering and so much, uh, so much illness too, as well. And so we get into that in the conversation, but a lot more too. So I really encourage everybody to uh, listen to this whole conversation and let's jump right in.
Lyra, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Where in the world uh, are you now? I just like, ground, like to ground this conversation a little bit and hear where you are and what you're up to right now. Sure. I'm not where I usually am. I'm in Maine right now for the summertime. It's only the second time I've been to Maine, so it's a, a really new place for me. Um, it's about mid-coastal Maine, just kind of in a, I don't know, a rural area um, here visiting a friend, doing something called hide camp. Um, but um, life is just kind of how life usually is for me. So I I tend to just live in like a perpetual mode of camping, but that's just my regular life. So um, here visiting a friend of mine who lives in a little yurt by the woods and then I'm in a little canvas tent. Um, and that's kind of wherever I am. That's usually typical for me, just kind of cooking, either cooking over fire, cooking over propane in the summertime. And then, um, you know, I bathe in a cold stream or pond every day of my life, unless it's December, January, or February, and um, lantern light at night or candles, and just outside all the time in the elements. And um, I mean, that's just kind of my, that's my normal. So this is the first time I've been like in a room in a house. Um, and this is like a little, um, I guess they call them camps up here, like a little house. They're not cabins in Maine, they call them camps. Um, uh, someone has graciously lent me this storage room in their house with Wi-Fi to do this recording. Thanks to them. And you mentioned yeah. that how this is a big deal for you to be inside right now that you hadn't been inside very much and how this, your lifestyle might not seem, it seems probably normal to you living it, but I think it was worth, it is worth uh, hearing. I feel fascinated because I don't think many of our listeners are living that close to nature or to to the elements as you are. So I just feels, uh, it feels it's, and it's part of, um, my interest in having this conversation with you too, is I've known you since uh, I first took one of your wild plant walks a number of years ago. And when I first met you, I was really struck by the depth of your connection to plants and to the land, what you knew, the way you, the way you sort of communicate with them and your, um, you just felt like felt to me on a bit of a different wavelength than other people I'd met in terms of how you're relating to natural spaces and to being outdoors. So I think uh, it just feels it feels good to me to hear uh, just how you're living, and I feel curiosity always about when I get a chance to 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 be in connection with you about how it's going. So thanks for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, that was like ten years ago. It seems like I don't know when we first met. It's my first ever plant walk. I think it was almost 10 years ago, eight, maybe seven or eight years ago. And uh, yeah, it was a special one too. Definitely opened my mind in a lot of a lot of ways. Um, but we uh, had a plan for this conversation too, a topic we wanted to, to get, get into when we talked before about what we could cover in a podcast around health and healing. And uh, a lot was coming up for you and I when we talked about mental health and about what that kind of healing looks like. So I think I'd like to just start to work our way into that by hearing from you uh, how you think of mental health and, and healing, um, what your kind of general approach is to those, those concepts. Oy, yes. Oy. Um, you know, I, uh, it's like, I feel like I've almost lived 
like five lifetimes at this point, which is ridiculous. I'm a young person. I'm like be 34 in a few months. Uh, but almost like in terms of these questions, I really feel like I've lived like five lifetimes. And, you know, when I was uh, a younger person in my teenage years and a good part of my 20s, you know, I think healing and mental health meant a certain thing to me. And that had more to do with um, self-realization, I guess. Like I was, I was a seeker and I was a mystic and I wanted to know myself. I wanted enlightenment, you know, I wanted to be enlightened and healing to me meant something more to do with that, like inner and outer freedom. And I, you know, I pursued an insane amount of schools and teachers and esoteric systems and blah, 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 um, towards that aim for many, many years. A lot of time, a lot of traveling, a lot of money, a lot of investment of myself on all levels. And really, over time, that's totally changed. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in a way, I feel like the older that I've gotten, and as life has gotten more and more and more difficult, um, maybe, you know, whether that has to do or not have to do with me just going off the beaten path a lot in our cult, in this culture, um, that my my experience of what healing means or what mental health means has really changed. And I think it's, it, it, you know, maybe it started off on, I want self-realization and to be enlightened and really over time became more about just survival, like literally just physical survival, uh, psychological, emotional survival. Like how do I get through every day sometimes, or sometimes just moment to moment and one difficult year after the next. So, it's gotten a bit darker in a way. It's more real. I feel like I'm lower down, closer to the ground than ever, but it's not a pretty picture at all. I don't know if that answers that question. Yeah, it's a great start because I, I feel like both of these words of healing and survival are both pretty loaded, complex terms that people have different relationships to. I My relationship to both those words has been evolving. Um, but there is something important that that idea of survival brings. And and I would add to resilience of, of thinking, how do we face life's hardest challenges or the hardest moments? And I think, I think I would add that into the conversation too. Is it pretty alive for me? I'm thinking about generating resilience. Something we talk to a lot of guests about is how they found resilience or hope or meaning in really hard times. And I think the survival piece is important because I too have been in a lot of healing communities to or around healing spaces where the healing could be quite meaningful, but it's also in a, it's done in a luxurious way. It's done in a way like healing can kind of mean be mixed in with some uh, wellness ambitions of, yeah. you know, like it can be, it can be mixed in with, um, it can be very, I wouldn't say self-indulgent. I, you know, I would say self-indulgent or it could be, it could be, it can be experienced in ways where it's a, a bit removed from life and death of survival. And I think there's something really real about when we like worth noting that I want to honor that healing, like people, okay, do your healing, go to, I go to therapy. It's like, I, you know, it, to me, it's self-care. A lot of time, my therapy, I'm like privileged that way. I'm just caring for myself and doing my emotional, trying to manage my, my emotional energy and my, and my, become more self-aware and like there's that. And then there's this level of, for so many people, healing really is um, a life or death journey, especially with mental health too. It's it's uh, it's worth 
recognizing that I think survival, survival um, is, uh, is at the root of, of healing, I think too, is like, is the deeper is like, how, beyond all this thriving wellness talk, I think you've experienced some of this too, of like, been in some of these communities, it sounds like too, where healing is like, uh, fetishized, I would say maybe would be a good word uh, yeah. for it, versus like, uh, so yeah, maybe say more about that of like your experience of going deeper into healing into that reality of um, this being life or death for you. Sure. I mean, I mentioned that when I was younger, I, well, I didn't mention that. I, I think I didn't, I didn't think I had mental health struggles as a young person. And I know many young people do. And I, I didn't feel particularly like I did in my teenage years into my mid twenties. It just wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a struggle that I felt that I was dealing with. I never experienced anything like what I would call depression or any serious anxiety or anything like that. And, you know, so, you know, healing for me was more about, it's like, I don't even know why, why, why did I do it? Why did I spend years and years and years? I studied all kinds of breath work, just doing all kinds of, you know, like the screaming therapies that came out of like rebirthing from the 1970s and you're with groups of people and then meditation every day, every day, every day, lots of meditation and fasting. And oh my God, and I wanted to be a breatharian and it was getting ridiculous. Um, but, you know, over time, uh, as I was an adult, I think I started to experience, you know, trauma. Of course, everybody has their childhood traumas and I've been processing that my whole life. But you know, as an adult, really getting into a lot of situations that were really traumatizing. And, um, you know, witnessing myself over time changing. And, um, you know, I have, I experienced a lot of loss and a lot of traumatic events, particularly with men. Like that's my, that's my sort of you know, stereotype archetype of a person, you know, like I grew, I grew up with a father who was an alcoholic in a like abusive marriage between my mother and my father. And I sort of, I'm the kind of person that carries that, that I like never developed, you know, somehow in my brain, conditional love was the normal framework in there, you know, particularly with men. And so that's followed me my whole life and actually gotten more intense over my whole life. And it's like, maybe you can call that healing. Maybe you can call that hell. I don't know. So I experienced a lot of traumatic events and um, did eventually develop very severe PTSD and very severe depression. I even went through a very suicidal period of life in 2019. Um, I developed debilitating physical chronic illness as fallouts from that that I'm still, I'm still living with, just not as intensively. And I mean, that's real. That's not stuff that I ever expected. Um, you know, I, I, maybe my young self thought, oh, I'm just going to be on the up and up and up. Like I treated, I think spending so many time, so much time through mystery schools and esoterica throughout the entire United States. Like I saw, I saw a lot of the dark sides and the ugliness under, you know, spiritualism in the modern day. Like I wasn't stupid. I was just, you know, I was like, this looks like bullshit. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. Okay. This teacher kind of seems like they got something. I'll follow this one. Um, but yeah, to me, looking back on it, I think a lot of that and what I see nowadays, like new age spirituality, it just feels like it's been totally co-opted by like the capitalist socioeconomic 
model that's about just actually pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Like if you're suffering, that just means that you're not creating your universe enough. And if you just, you know, if you do more envisioning, you'll have money. And if you, you know, if you're not successful, just do more spiritualize harder. And to me, it's just another form of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's, you know, it's just, um, ignoring really real forms of oppression in the world, like racism and classism and sexism. And I think it's also a really individualistic thing because it's all about self-obsession in a way. Like, how can I make myself so enlightened that I will turn into a cloud of air and leave the earth, you know? And I think that's eventually why I moved away from a lot of those schools and teachers and teachings. Because I was like, I'm not trying to leave the earth. <laughs> like, I'm. this is actually, that's... That's not what I'm doing here at all. Like, this is the jam. Like, Earth, like, this is, I'm not trying to ascend, actually. Like, this is, this is what it's all about for me. Like, literally, the blood, the guts, the mud, like, the birth, the death, the suffering. I'm like, I would do this a thousand more times. And I think I just realized that's not, that's not really the vibe of what a lot of this was about. So, um, you know, even though I was like a really earthy kid and I like had my own little hut in the woods and, you know, was just this really witchy kid in nature all the time. Um, I think in my early twenties, I started to come back to that harder and I, I'm still probably on that trajectory. If that answers your yeah. question. Yeah. It's, it, it's, there's a lot there uh, to respond to. I feel like you hear, I mean, it's a trendy term now, spiritual bypassing. And I think it's a very relevant term to, uh, I've seen it in communities I've been in or in spiritual groups. And I think a lot of it starts with the, some of the delusion or the trickery you're talking about is giving somebody, I think, ways of thinking and, and spiritual being that promise healing or promise transformation without acknowledging, working with, uh, meeting people and their trauma and their, and their, the systemic oppression they might be going on in their own unique reality. And just saying, you just need to wish harder or you need to manifest harder. You need right. to breathe harder and you're going right. to get the money. Cause I do see value in a lot of those practices. Uh, you know, of course, like cultural appropriations, another conversation we can have another time too, about how the lineages and how the things are handed down or passed on. I do see, like, I do find value in meditation and breath work, these kinds of tools, but then I go. In, I have had the same experience of you of going into community and 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 going into schools or places and, and witnessing people who are traumatized and who are suffering, like suffering a lot, or even experiencing it in myself too, of just uh, just unconsciously not healing and actually just repeating the same problems and recreating the same dynamics, interpersonal dynamics, or control dynamics, or power dynamics that got that um, maybe from their upbringing or from that they were just the same, they were living in normal society. So just repeating and echoing the same thing. So I see that going on in your story. And also, I think we'll move towards in the conversation of hearing about how immediacy with nature, how intimacy with nature was a word you used before when we talked around how that's different than bypassing or different than is part of the survival medicine that you're working with around trauma and around um, maybe moving out of this breathitarian ethereal approach to to healing into something like more substantial that sounds right yeah yeah that's my jam 
<laughs> I'm like remembering this moment when I was still in that phase of my life, that devotee phase of my life. And I was, I think I was actually living on a spiritual school at the time because I was becoming like the, I was like the, I don't know, personal apprentice or like, you know, what's, what's the word, the sidekick of the teacher. And then I became like the gardener on the property. I was trying to make these organic gardens happen. I think I was like trying to find my niche, you know, like I, and I was living in this little A-frame in the woods and there was this huge lawn that the land manager took care of, just this huge mowed lawn. And it was in the middle of, um, it was some kind of preserve land. And there were a lot of deer there, um, probably too many deer. And the land manager would get so upset by all the deer shit all over his perfectly mowed lawn. And so I would be out there like with a plastic five gallon bucket and a shovel, like picking up all the deer poop and putting it in a bucket. Cause I was like, this stuff is gold. Like I'm trying to garden here. And this is actually in a pine barren and the, like the soil, like no one would vegetable garden here. No one would be living here. And like, I need some, I need some poop in the soil. You know, you don't, I'm not, you don't have any, uh, horse manure or anything like this is gold and so I'm picking up all that stuff and he's just like oh this is just you know gosh darn the deer they're just like you know messing up this beautiful lawn so we can have these nice spiritual classes for everyone and that was a real moment for me when I think I realized because all these people and I was like I was a vegetarian and then staunch vegan and then raw foodist from the time I was like 14 up until my early 20s and I was at the time and they were all into this veganic gardening stuff. Like, oh, if we could just only order like soy proteins to add that to the, the garden soil. And that was a real, I think, breaking moment for me. And I really left that whole world shortly after that. Because, um, and really my life has been about, you know, my life really is a lot about shit and urine and blood and guts and, you know, a lot of really intense substances. So it's probably a long, long way to go about saying that like, yes, intimacy with nature is, um, in a way, I just think that's like who and what I am. That's like literally what allows me to survive. Like I'm a very neurodivergent person. Like I've never really fit into the autism description, but I'm, I'm a very non-neurotypical person in that. Like, I'm not, like, living out in the woods, like, just because, just for kicks. It's, like, that's, like, that's what I literally need to, like, stay alive. Like, I, I literally need the immediacy of the elements all the time. It's, like, I have to jump in, like, icy cold water twice a day, you know, even into December, you know, and then starting again in March, like, bathing outside. I, like, have to have a lot of sun I have to be immersed in like all the plants and fire and smoke is just like really important to me. I mean, I'm an animist really is what the definition of that is. And I really, if I'm out of that, you know, sometimes I'll live in cities and of course I go in and out of that, but I can only do it for so long. And like, I will just start to get sick. I just can't food loses its taste. I start to get really loony up there. So it's really not a choice for me. It's literally what I've just learned I have to do to survive. If that makes sense. It's not pretty. It's not easy and it's not pretty. It's not how Instagram paints, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's really not. <laughs> well, you started with the shit and the piss and the blood. You know, yeah. you know what you were saying. And the story about the guy 
with his manicured lawn and the no shit on it in the spiritual yeah. communities. This felt pretty perfect for that of no shit's not welcome here. Your <laughs> yeah. blood. Like you don't get to be a full human here. Like these parts of you aren't welcome or aren't welcome. This parts of nature, of our nature that these, this whole area of death, it's uh, it's not really what we're, we're focused on uh, here. And so you were mentioning that you're animistic too. And I, have a, have, a, have a sense of that word. And one thing I'm taking from that is that the way you're living and need to live, I'm hearing too, it's, just, it's not a choice. It's how you survive is that death and blood and piss and shit are not excluded from that. There, there's like all is part of this philosophy you're living in, and, and like maybe some examples of that of how you're embracing all these different dimensions of life that are easy to ignore when I'm in the city or to or to, to uh, compartmentalize shit goes over there and there's no sick people around me. There's no, you know, there's like a clean, this idea of being clean or something all the time, how that, <laughs> how right. that creates, yeah, where right. that fits. Right. And it, it's another example in that same spiritual school, even the head teacher at the time, everybody, everybody was vegetarian and vegan. And, and every time she'd hear gunshots in the distance, you know, the deer, it would just, you know, she'd be, oh, why do they have to kill the deer and shoot the deer? Oh, this is just terrible, you know. And even at the time, I, I was in that culture of veganism myself, but even still, I was like, this is there's something a little odd here, because we're all, like, doing lots of fasting, and they're feeding us, like, fresh-made juices, but then also, like, lots and lots of plastic bags of nuts that are imported from all over the world and tropical fruits like this is this is like enlightened food and i'm like i just i i don't see this like these packages of processed almond milk and like is this really the way to enlightenment here and you know little did i know you know over the years that i would just be you know almost like thrown so deeply into the deer specifically and all the other animals and plants of the eastern forest here and you know i i i did go through some weird phases you know as a young person and as a young person i would i would drive my car past you know roadkill deer and i would just i would just experience such emotional agony i would like literally just start like ah, like going into fits in the car of just like oh like just like the grief and this is just it just would run through my body so intensely like i felt it so intensely just you know super young empath type of kid and you know somehow life really pushed me uh into even though I, I did not want it at all. This, I was probably 23, 24 when this was, a lot of this was happening into really, really getting viscerally close with animals. And I basically ended up, I was in a, a brick row house in Baltimore city in a, like a dingy basement with like roadkill deer hanging from the rafters with like a plastic baby pool underneath to like catch all the blood and the guts from all the animals I was processing. And, you know, there I would be, you know, with, you know, my arms up to my shoulders, just shoulder deep in the abdominal cavity of these deer, just like, you know, stomach and intestinal contents, like burping up all these crazy smells and a lot of them were rotten and, you know, just rancid fox fat and coon fat. And, you know, I'd have these moments where I'm like, what am I doing? How did I get here? You know, I'm like, I'm carrying, I just sawed off the head of this beautiful 
deer and it smells really intense and I'm covered in deer blood and I stink like deer blood and I'm just like carrying this decapitated deer's head like into a little patch of urban woods in the moonlight deep at night to feed to the other critters like how did I get here this is not what I had in mind and it was really rocky that was like a few years of a really rocky transition for me and I fought it at every at every turn and it's funny to think back on because I look back on it now and I'm like why did I resist that like that's these are my loves like this is what I love but that eventually really put me on a course of a study of all the old forms of animal dismemberment and a study of meat, how meat actually works. I'm not just butchering, but aging meats, just all every pre-modern way and, uh, and tanning. So like traditional forms of pre, pre-modern, pre-chemical hide tanning really became, it's one of the greatest passions of my life. It's one of my greatest obsessions. It's my main art form as a craftsperson. And then everything that came after that, how to use bone, how to use sinew, how to use, you know, processed gut fiber, literally all of it. Um, and how basically a majority of my food and how I survive in the world food wise comes from those animals. So it's, yeah, it's a, there's a lot to that, all of that. And it's, it's just not, you know, it's, it's, it makes people uncomfortable when they first hear it, but it's, it's actually very normal. Like if people just jump into my lifestyle, they, they get it really quick. It's, yeah, it's, it's not as weird as it sounds. It's intense, but it's not. It's I mean, not it's intense, but I, I find it very intriguing. And I, actually, when I opened this conversation with you about mental health, this is one of the first things you brought up was how dismemberment and, 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 and tanning and these were like so relevant for you around that question. So I wanted to hear more from you about how how these practices, th- this way of getting your food, this way of preserving meat, of relating to animals, all of it, how this changes your mindset, changes your, how you feel, or is a healing practice for you? It sounds like. It is. It's, I mean, like I said, like intimacy with nature is literally like who and what I am. I don't think I could survive otherwise. Um, I mean, I literally remember being like in fourth grade or something, a little kid. And I was schooled in like a very strict religious environment in Georgia in the South and I remember I was taking like a religion class and this word animism popped up as like a vocabulary word and they gave us the definition. And I was like, I felt such elation in my body. I remember that moment. And I was like, oh, like, that's what I am. Or like, I love that word. Like that's, I love that, you know? And then there was this, you know, very religious older woman teacher to just kind of like slap that back down again. You know, she was like, we as it was a Catholic environment. We as Catholics do not believe in, you know, this and reincarnation and these things. And I was like, <laughs> like if it were one generation beforehand, it would have been a ruler slapping my hand. Um, so that was real. Like as a child, that's just how I f- function. Like I spent all my time outside. Thankfully, I lived, we lived close to woods where I grew up in Atlanta. And then I spent every summer in the mountains or on this island on the South Carolina coast. So I literally was just on my own all the time. And like, I talked just, I talked like all the rocks, like rocks all told me their names. And I was just a very mystical kid. And like my experience was like, there's this magical essence inside every plant and every rock. And I was obsessed with mud and clay, everything. And like, to me, I would collect water from all these, like the, like the lake and the stream and then put them in little 
jars that I found washed up washed up from the streams. They're all my treasures. I'm like, oh, this is the holy water. You know, if you ask me what the holy water is, I'm like, it's the one from the stream. And I was obsessed with springs and I still am. So like, I literally, I am an animist, you know, it's like just yeah. life spirit is in everything for me. And I, I was a very, I'm a very, you could just call me like an empath type of person. So that's exactly how I am as an adult. I'm that, I'm that same kid who had a little hut in the woods and I had a special ritual with every single plant and I had all my potions and I talked to all the rocks. And I, you know, I've just sort of found my, I found my way back to that as an adult, you know, ripe with a lot of difficulty too. But for me, it's, you know, I grew, I think like I grew up, you know, a very nor in a very relatively normal, relatively privileged white American culture which you know is very death phobic and you don't see where meat comes from and we kept little gardens but we never raised animals for you know meat or dairy or anything like that so you know i had to come from that culture and then just finding what was true to me break all of that apart to find just to me every animal's every animal's body is like it is holy it is completely normal and everyday and it is alive, like it's a, even a dead body to me, it's, it's alive. And then I, I would raise my own, my own animals too, particularly like rabbits and chickens and small things and experience slaughtering and butchering and all these, these, this stuff that was the opposite of what I thought was spiritual. And to me, that's, that's where I found ultimate paradox that was it for me. I was like, this is it. So to me, like skin is one of the most beautiful materials on the planet and it's so mysterious and it can be absolutely foul and fetid. And I work with the most rotting, disgusting stuff you can imagine on a day-to-day -day basis. I tan hides wow. and process animal parts all year long, every year, year after year. It's a constant part of life. And like, I'm, I'm you know, I'm like pushing shit out of raccoon intestines and colons in the snow and, you know, cleaning out stomach cavities and, you know, pulling out the big parasitic grubs that crawl out of the nasal cavities of deer when they die and they're disgusted, you know, like, you know, like masses of parasites, you know, like cutting off a possum's head and a breathing mass of parasites falls out and you're like, oh God, that just happened. You know, it's like, it really gets raunchy, but like, that's where I really am at home. And I, like, it's, you know, it's all forms of alchemy. And I, it's to me all these substances that get really tabooed in our culture. Like, they have always been holy in every culture ever. And holy and normal. So people, like, people get on me because I study urine a lot. Like, ancient forms of urine. And people think it's a joke, but it's not. Like, I'm obsessed with urine. I think it's a magical substance. And because the reality is, like, if you take strong human urine or animal urine you know, within a short amount of time, you can make ammonia. You know, urea degrades naturally into ammonia. Once you have ammonia, natural form of ammonia, you can do so many things with that in terms of alchemy that had to do with dyes or tanning or just all, all these amazing things. And humans have done this always. And it's just in the last generation or two, this has gotten lost and it's weird. So nothing I'm doing is really all that new. And, you know, and just to say that, like, I'm I guess I just want to make it really clear, like I mentioned survival, and that's true, like I, me being here alive 
on the earth is only due to like very thin threads of moments, very, very thin threads. So I've really walked a tightrope walk to be physically alive at this point. However, it's like this lifestyle that I live, which is just to, to need to be super close to nature. Like I was able to choose this because of coming from a really privileged place in life, because I, I was a kid who was like set up to, you know, I had like two hardworking parents um, and I was put through good schools and I was set up to be one of those kids that I was supposed to go to Harvard or Yale or Brown and, you know, become a lawyer. Like that was my trajectory in life. But I was like, you know, a gothy punk artist, you know, hating all of it. So really I, you know, I had the privilege to be like, well, I'm not going to starve. And I, I, have, I have enough privilege to take a lot of risks. And I did. And life did get really, really, really difficult and continues to get even more difficult. But, you know, this isn't, this isn't me being like, oh, like, I'm just wild woman surviving out there. This is not, this is not that at all. I, I'm in the world. I'm like a teacher. I'm a craftsperson. I'm, I just happen to also be... A hermit and unhappen to be landless. Um, so therefore, like, I just sort of have to live on the edges to, to be close enough to nature to, you know, not totally lose my mind. Going on a bit of a ramble. I, I think we should loop it, it back around. Yeah, let's loop it. I have, yeah. I have some loops for us, uh, but I, I'm just loving hearing about each of these dimensions of your, whether it's the piss, the, the animism, the, um, the different things you've reclaimed or for yourself, at least these older, old traditional ways of being um, fascinated by all of it. Uh, I love hearing about it. And uh, one thing coming up for me was thinking about a, like looping it back to the mental health question and spirit and the link between how you're linking that with spirituality, because animism, the way you're describing it and the way I've heard it other places, it is a spiritual, uh, it's, it's, it's like a religious spiritual approach to the objects of them having life. And I think about Carl Jung talking about how modern psychotherapy and psychoanalysis really grew up as the old forms of religion, like a hundred years ago, the old forms of religion stopped meeting people's unconscious needs, start, stopped creating the meaning structures. Like it came at the same time, of course, like it's also linked with um, the rise of like more science and reason and these other like Western approach, the kind of dominance of the industrial revolution, all this is tied together, but he's pointing out that um, for so many years, there's no, most of human history, there's no therapist out there doing mental health work with people. Religion is really where, spirituality is where an, an organized religion delivered these, uh, that kind of care, like uh, did a lot, like filled a lot of that gap for people in, in their lives. And so like, he gives the example of the ancient Egyptians of like them, their unconscious minds being really different than ours is being very fully expressed, he imagined he's projecting on them in a way of saying that they're more expressed on their with with what they're creating and how they're living in a different way, like and in other cultures would have different ways of being. And so I think, think bringing this back to you, though, I think about how you're talking about mental health struggles and challenges and how you found that in a spiritual like your nature. Nature isn't really just your therapy. You're not going there to like just get relaxed or to like blow off steam <laughs> no. in nature. You're not going out and you're like, I just need to get a walk, do a little forest, light forest bathing, or a little walk in the woods. And like, it, it, it's a lot more of closer to a religious path for you of what I'm hearing. And like that, it's, it's, it's the way you use spiritual language to describe your relationship feels 
more accurate to me or like that you're getting a spiritual benefit. And that is like, of course, mental health and spiritual health are all, this is all linked together. They're all nested together. So I'm hearing how the, the primary, like deeper root of this is a spiritual path and not just a self-care or not just a, it's like a deeply, like deeply entwined in like your spirit or your soul to do these things. Um, and when you're taken away from it, that's when the mental health challenges, is that right? That when you are removed from nature or removed from your lifestyle, that like, what happens to you then? Like, do you feel, um, is the mental health stuff like more intense then generally when you can't have that? Um, these are a lot of different questions. I mean, the bottom line is that I think the reason I struggle so much more and more is just that this culture to me is, I feel it's one of the most unlivable cultures that's maybe ever existed in the world. This is my personal feeling. I just feel like there's been such an incredible breakdown going on for thousands of years in the Western lineage of culture, such a breakdown of community and a village structure, like village life, like what made human communities function and thrive and connection to land and culture. I, I really believe that the definition of culture is that it comes from the land, and that the reason cultures worldwide are diverse is because landscapes and climate are diverse. So what you're going to eat is based on what plants grow there, what kind of clay is in that particular location, what kind of earth pigments are there that creates, you know, over time, the, the different designs people wear. And I, I feel like in American culture now, there, it is, it's almost a, a, a vacuum of culture in a lot of ways. Um, even though there's so much resistance to that. So that's what I struggle with, you know, is, and, and more than anything else, the very core for me is lack of land access. And that's something that people all over this country and all over the world struggle with. And I think it's the root of so much sickness and, you know, as soon as people don't have access to land and all land is privatized and land is expensive in this culture and it's expensive everywhere. And, you know, like, I, again, like I'm a white privileged person who, you know, should have, you know, by our, this culture's definition, like had an easy time in the world. And I have fought tooth and nail, you know, just to try to have land, you know, to have a home. And that's one of the deepest core wounds in my whole life. Sometimes it really makes it hard for me to want to get up in the morning and to find a reason to be alive. And I think many people in the world deal with that. And even people who do have land, it's like struggle to create village life. Because as soon as you don't have land and relationship to land and security on land, you don't have, you know, food growing for generations and the medicine that comes from there and the animals and everything, everything comes from land. And there's, I mean, I just think there's an incredible amount of trauma throughout, you know, all of European people back thousands of years of um, struggle for land access. And then in North America, it's, you know, this is an entire country based on genocide and taking the land from an entire continent of people. And in many cases, you know, massacring them. So it's, it's this is, this isn't, a spiritual, I think a lot of the topics I care most about, they could be spiritual, but I'm like, they're physical. They're about, like, they're about social, political, economic realities today. So 
I think the reason I lean so hard on the tools that I do is to survive all of those things, as well as, you know, really corrupt systems and really bad people, honestly. I've had a lot of run-ins with really bad people. And being a, you know, female-bodied person, socialized woman in this culture, that's been extremely, extremely devastating. I mean, the level of misogyny I experience almost every day trying to do what I do, it's, it almost gets more intense the older that I get. So yeah, I lean harder and harder on a lot of these tools that I have found. And we all have tools, you know, that like help us keep it together. And for me, those tools just happen to be, you know, like the immediacy of nature and particularly craft work and sort of meditative, the, the trance of craft work movement. I'm a very movement-based person. So it's like, I do all this, like, you know, I'm doing laundry. I'm like washing, you know, my clothes in buckets and, and, you know, washing dishes by a stream. And, you know, I cut, usually cut all my firewood and cook wood every year. It's a lot like life just revolves around wood and then kindling, just con just constantly gathering kindling and tinder. It's just living by fire that never ends, just never ends. So like my life consists of like, you know, like my, I have a, I have a really good hatchet. I have a really good felling axe. I have recently a chainsaw as of this past year, and I feel very fancy, which is like my baby, that chainsaw, and you know, a draw knife. And like these are my most precious possessions. I, I have really nice tools, and it's um, stuff that's like work is that stuff is therapeutic for me. It's like know that I'm going out in the woods with you know a tarp over my back and my felling axe to fell some trees for wood and also bark that I strip for my craft, my tanning practice. You need a lot of bark. It's, you know, that's therapy for me, but it accomplishes also the things I need to get done. Well, congratulations on the chainsaw. I want to say that first. Uh, and yeah. I also appreciate you, <laughs> appreciate you, um, being real about the suffering and the struggle you've experienced and also this like naming this general sadness that we're disconnected from the land as humans, right? And this society that I experienced this connection from the land that whatever tradition you're in right now, I mean, I can just speak from like being a Jewish tradition, that's an earth-based tradition historically. It doesn't make a lot of sense if you take it out of the seasons and out of the crops and out of the, uh, out of the, the traditions, the indigenous traditions of it, it starts to make less and less sense to me and be, less meaningful or powerful, the further you get from the land. And so I think you are really, it's, I'm, I'm glad you said that. And I think it is really worth, I just wanted to repeat that and name that that's real. And I'm also hearing too, though, that we, you are in your work, which is your therapy and you're finding ways to survive. And also I'm curious too, what gives you, what gives you the hope? What gives you the inspiration to kind of keep going, to keep teaching like, what do you, what do you want to, when, sorry, especially when we talk about like you're a teacher too, like what are you inspired yeah. teaching now and sharing in the world? Uh, so those questions are what, you know, what gives me hope and then what inspires me teaching? Is that yes. mainly? Uh, the answer of what gives me hope. That's a really, that's a difficult one. I go in and out of period. This year, I mean, this year in particularly has, has been a very particularly difficult year. But 
so I'm, I'm thin. I'll admit to you, I'm a little thin on hope these days. But even when I'm at rock bottom, always, no matter what, it's the plants that without cause, they, they give me hope and they just arrest me. You know, looking at, I mean, I've been obsessed with plants my whole life. So if I just, I just go walking and just all the plants, the wildflowers of the roadsides and the meadows, just causelessly, they captivate me. They're, they're miraculous to me. Like just the way that plants continue to grow. It's like they're celebrating life every single day and that never ends. And people, you know, so many parts of the world are desertifying right now. And a lot of the Western, you know, states of the U.S. too. And I'm here in the Eastern forests, usually the Southeast or the Mid-Atlantic. And I, I feel so lucky that like places where plants grow, I think there's hope always. If, we, if there's plants, if there's water, then there's plants, then there's anything. Anything can happen. Um, in terms of what, what inspires me teaching or what is, is like, what, what do I yeah, you got part teaching? one down, but I was going to say the part two was, what do you, what do you feel inspired to teach right now in your teaching? Like what messages, what ideas, practices, um, are you most inspired to be teaching? Uh, so many things. I mean, I'm a generalist. I'm such a generalist. Like, I'm one of those people who, like, I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And people are always like, oh, it's... a lot of people think of me as like, oh, I'm just a plant person. I just study plants and teach about plants. And other people think I'm just a fiber artist person because they always see me spinning and teaching about fiber work. And then other people think, oh, I'm just a tanner because they only see me doing lots and lots of tanning work. And other people are like, oh, no, she's into natural dyes or tattooing. I, like, I have this whole side of my life that's sort of obsessed with, you know, each forms of hand tattooing. So I have all these, I like, I have all these, I don't know, chapters of myself. And to me, they don't compartmentalize because to me, they're all just like part of this big tapestry. So I do, on the outside, I think what I do tends to look maybe a little all over the place because I love so many different topics, you know, like, like urine dyes, you know, just this obsession I have with like using particularly species of lichens with aged urine to get these ancient forms of dye, bright color dye colors. Like that's something's very specific and niche. So they'll have this other thing and this other thing and this other thing. But there are, you know, there are themes that run through all of them that I think are so consistent for me that, that light my fire. But I mean, honestly, if I had my way, like I really would, it's the animal stuff. It really is the animal stuff that I would love to like do that, do that most of the time that I'm teaching, um, which, which would be just like getting group, getting people into like an immersive experience. I don't actually get to do this in life much. You have to do shorter classes and abbreviated things, but gosh, if I could just get people you know, for a week or two weeks on a piece of land and just dive in to particularly getting close to animal and dismemberment arts, which I know that all just probably still sounds very weird to people, but I just feel so moved to do that and bring that to the world. And it happens constantly in my life. 
all the time. And a lot of times it's one-on-one with individual people who want to learn or just people that I meet as I travel. And I might just help one person, you know, just skin one animal or do this one step on this or age this bit of meat or cook this. So I have these experiences a lot. It's very meaningful to me. But it's like, to, to me, it just feels, it feels so important to me to give people, to model and give people permission to have this completely different experience with animal butchering or slaughter or dismemberment and all the things that come after, which is so different from the mainstream culture, which for one is to like, you can keep your heart open. You can keep all your senses open and please do. You know, sometimes if I'm teaching a person the beginning of skinning, it might take an hour, it might take an hour before we even get a knife to the animal. I'm just, I just invite people just to, just to stop and like feel the bodies and listen, whether that's listening with your fingertips, if you're a touch person, listening with your heart or your emotions or your whatever, and just to stop and, and experience whatever comes up, you know, if it's joy, grief, rage, sorrow, just that, that it's all welcome, like the full spectrum of the gamut of, of, of all of it. It's all welcome. And I just see, and it, it, and then sometimes I have the experience as well, like, you know, invite people to do that. I'll kind of like go hide behind a tree or pretend I'm doing something else in a shed, like peek over. And, you know, the, the person will be just like having a profound experience that's all their own. And I just start crying. I'll just start just absolutely weeping, you know, in secret behind the tree or behind the shed. Because we're just not allowed that in our cult. I just think particularly for some reason, in particular, like butchering and uh, tanning for sure and any and hunting and raising it, a lot of this has been very like masculinized. And I don't even think it's an authentic kind of masculine. It's just it's been masculinized in this way that it's like, oh, this is like tough stuff. You gotta, and you gotta shut down your emotions in order to do it. And I just don't think that's the way human societies naturally have ever been. So to me, just like giving people permission to do it in a very different way. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a bit of more of a feminine way or something. I just find that, I don't know, it, like it, it moves me and just getting people to experience the magic of just like all these ancient forms of, it's not even ancient. People are still doing this in some parts of the world, even though it's just, it's um, dwindling. But I, I feel like I keep just looping, looping back around into a well, rant. I just, I was, I'm, like I said before, I'm, I'm into it. And I'm interested yeah. in this one week immersion coming up of one's happening in the Mid-Atlantic and if other people are interested in maybe we could put a group together and work with you. I have some access to land in Virginia. Uh, we could do some of these, some of this work. So I, you really, I don't see it as a ramble. You very much inspired me to uh, be more connected to uh, animal processing. And I'd like to try it. I, I, I'm personally interested. So yeah, if you're hearing this, um, I'm going to include your links below in the description to how to learn more that you sent me. Um, Lyra and um, so people can connect it there, but uh, also people could drop a comment on this or an email to us at foregardenspodcast at gmail.com. 
if they're interested in coming together for a small group to work with you, if you'd be open to we're in the like so when you come through the mid-Atlantic next, perhaps we could have a a group to do some work with you would be really uh really special if you're open to that. That would be great. It's challenging. It's very challenging logistic wise to make these things come together. That's why it's I'm pretty good at logistics. So I'm, I'm I, yeah. I can I can support I can support with that logistical piece. Um so stay tuned for that. We'll make a post about it too um for people who are listening to this um for some collaboration between us in the future. Um but it uh Thank you for describing your your work there. I just want to see, see if there's anything else uh, in terms of people getting in contact with you or things coming up that you wanted to, offerings you wanted to mention at this time. I do, I do have a series of classes in the autumn this year coming up in Maryland. They're not necessarily animal-based, but they're fiber fiber based and I'm very excited about these it's a series of classes that's um, i don't know a handful in october and november and you can you can do just one or you can do the whole series and they are um a lot of it's focused on spinning i'm very into spinning it's one of my main sort of like trance works that really helps me emotion mentally and emotionally regulate a lot so a lot of it is on drop spinning and then working with different plant fibers like dogbane or nettles. We'll also be working with wool and cotton. And these are with one of my favorite people in the entire world. Her name is Louise Wheatley and she lives in Maryland and it's at her house. I consider her, I consider her a master weaver. Um, even though she's very humble, she is, um, I think she's one of the most amazing fiber artists in the world. And so I just, you know, to me, she's just one of the most magical, amazing human beings I've, I've ever met. And she's got a beautiful uh, fiber studio with loom, all of her beautiful looms and plant dyes and her garden where she grows all the, you know, fiber plants and dye plants and a cute little kitchen. So it's like a lot of my classes, really, really, really intimate, very small groups. Um, and a lot of it is, I'm really doing this just to do it with Louise. She's one of my like dearest friends and I consider her a mentor. And she's just, she's, she's also one of the most knowledgeable people that I have ever met on spinning and fiber. So uh, those are in October and November in Maryland. And that's all on my website, which is stormsofdaylight.com. That sounds magical. Yeah. Really encourage people to check out Lyra's teaching and events. Yeah. Yeah. And there is still space in those. Okay. Uh, yeah, we can share those too below and elsewhere. And wanted to just thank you for having this conversation, for being so open to take the time today to go deep with me here and just and be yourself and be real with um, where you are and uh, your your growth, your journey. Um, it's all yeah, it was beautiful today. I I certainly got a lot of this conversation, and I'm sure others will listening to this too. So thank you so much. Great. I feel like we like just touched the surface on things, but hopefully it'll be useful to people. It's like I'm a hermit, but I feel like I could talk for like a hundred hours about all my all my special interests. <laughs> you know, I found that meeting hermits in the world are people that are uh, they like to talk. I feel like if you spend a lot of time alone and doing cool stuff, you uh, have a lot of words. Depends on what you talk about. If it's like, if it's one of my special right interests, questions. if it's tanning, yeah. I'll talk about it for ten hours a day, <laughs> twenty days in a row. Yeah. It's something I don't care about. I'm just like, ah, leave me alone. <laughs> eh. 
back in my hut. <laughs> uh, well, it was great talking to you about the topics you are you are passionate about in the world. So appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was my conversation with Lyra Magda. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we have a special health tip at the end of each episode with Ari Rubens. Ari, passing to you. Hey, this health tip is on cold exposure. So in the episode, you heard Lyra share how she's been uh, cold plunging or bathing uh, most months out of the year. And while it's kind of challenging sometimes to find a stream, for most of us, it'll be cold showers. So for most people, and if you're one of them, you hear cold shower and you immediately go, ah, no way. So first off, the best way to get into this practice is to first learn about the benefits. Some of the benefits include uh, uh, better cardiovascular and immune health. So it stimulates these aspects of our body and improves your mental strength to tackle on anything, especially if you start a cold shower in early on in the day, you are set to confront any challenge with a sense of calm. You can always reflect, hey, I did a cold shower, I can do anything. And finally, it wakes you up. So if you're having a hard time getting going in the morning, uh, energy-wise, jump into a cold shower and it will give you a boost of that adrenaline so you're set straightforward like a rocket launcher. Now, ways to get into this goes as follows. Take your hot shower, warm shower. You know, it's nice, nice and warm. And end your shower just with 30 seconds. And you can go even just towards the coldest part, but 30 seconds of cold for a week. The next week, one minute. The following week, two minutes. And build this up gradually as you move along. I'd recommend doing this and aiming to get towards a, a sustainable three-minute-a-day practice of cold showers or cold plunges, if you can get to an ideally go-to-a-stream. And you will experience the benefits, and I'm really excited to share this practice with you. I know Jake and I have been talking about cold showers for a while, and um, we also go through thermal cycling where we would go into uh, sauna, or um, and then we go into a cold plunge or an ice bath with ice. So really good stuff, and so thanks for listening. Passing it back to Jake. Yeah, that's a health tip that I definitely use. Um, I, I measure my cold showers if I don't have a watch, just with the number of breaths, too something I do is just really pay attention to my deep breaths and relaxing in the cold is my approach to it as well. So I start with five breaths is uh, if you don't have a clock near you or watch, is just another tip I would add to that. But I lo also love the cold showers. All right. So thank you for sharing that. If you like this episode, uh, like us, subscribe, do all click all the buttons, click the thumbs up, click the, uh, leave a comment, you know, just wherever you are, leave a review, all that stuff really helps the project. We always, Love to hear any feedback or reactions to anything came up for you. Feel free to send us a message. Uh, once again, thanks for listening and keep on growing.